Hi, everyone. I'm Brady Volpe. We're going to talk about updates on the network, the demand that's been driven by COVID, specifically how broadband networks need to adapt changes for societal needs from COVID-19. This is episode 63 of Get Your Tech On. I'm founder of Nimble This and the Volpe Firm. With us today is John Downey, CMTS technical leader at Cisco Systems. John, welcome back. Always be I'll always be here, <laughs> virtually. <laughs> this is our next power hour of all things Doxis. Um, please do drop in your comments in the chat. We'd love to hear from you and your experiences on how COVID's impacted your network, and we can talk about those. But first, if you like what you're watching, please do hit the subscribe button. And if you want to be notified of future events, please do click on the notification bell so you'll receive email notifications the next time we go live or upload videos. And also, please do be sure to stay to the end of the live stream. We do have some important announcements for free learning events. It's great info that you're not going to want to miss. So to set the stage for the conversation that John and I are going to have, we put together some slides that have some numbers. If you're listening to the podcast, we'll do our best to make sure that we kind of talk about what's on the slides. John, you know, we talked about this before, how COVID has impacted networks and how it's driven up a lot of traffic. One of the things we're going to talk about here is some of the numbers behind that and what we've seen. There's been a number of things that have really been driving that. I think you talked about this last time or before on, on some of the things that you've seen. I don't know if you had a comment before we get into the slides. Yeah, yeah. I was just counting on my fingers and months that this started, you know, we're almost six months in, it's half a year. It's hard to believe since March, right? End of February. So it's interesting that we're this far in and we're still dealing with this, the aftermath, and it hasn't changed. There's, in North Carolina, where we I don't know what it's going to stop. <laughs> I know. They just announced they're not going to start up school for another nine weeks in North Carolina. North Carolina is one of the only states still that will not open gyms and I think bars, but they opened other places, no problem, which is kind of interesting. But because, you know, I, I like to work out whenever I can. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I find my own way to work out. So if schools are not going to open up, a slew of problems, right? Wanted to go start working back at the office, can't. Right. They might be allowed to, but they can't now because their kids are not allowed to go to school. So, you know, a lot of people use school as uh, a glorified daycare, if you will. Right. I mean, it's get the kids out of the house and now I can actually do what I need to do. Uh, now somebody's got to stay home. So there's implications there. So and, and Georgia is a mixed bag. I'm in Georgia. School. We're in Georgia. So it's a mixed bag here as well. Um, some schools are opening. Some schools are not opening. Well, I, th I think we both grew up in the north in Pennsylvania where schools would open kind of in the late August, early September time frame in Georgia, right. schools are starting now. So some of the schools that can open have and yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of like what you're saying. Yeah, because if, if the schools are not opening up to be on site and you have to do more online classes, you know, even though we saw the spike in usage from COVID and it slowed down and you're going to show this for the summer, it's probably going to kick back up again yep. because the kids are going to be doing Zoom and all that stuff for school. And then the people that were hoping to go to work or maybe work three times a week or whatever, they're stuck at home as well. So now they're fighting over their own internet connection at their house, driving up traffic. And like we talked about, these applications, they were not as prevalent as they are right now. Uh, well, then, and they're much more symmetrical, you know? right? Yeah, yes. That, that's... And, and the fact that when I, even if you look at yourself traveling around, you're using your mobile phone when you're traveling, you're using your, your you know, maybe a home line, if at all. Using different uh, networks. I got rid of my home line. I mean, I got rid of my landline. <laughs> But if I was, if I had my mobile phone, fine. But now when people are working from home and they have to do some type of audio, they're either doing it through the computer or they're doing it through Wi-Fi, maybe calling. It's so all over Docs. Yeah. And Wi-Fi calling mode. And all that going through your Wi-Fi is best ever voice. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have a quality of service that we have with unsolicited grant service, UGS on a Docs modem. So that has implications a lot more than what many people would think of. All the way up to laser clipping on the upstream. Yes. And there's, there's a lot of things that come into play here when we start adding more utilization and adding applications that cause a lot of burstiness or maybe not even burstiness, but small frames. Yep. Very small frames very often. 
And I, and I think it's that, um, and, we're, and I, I do want to get to the numbers in just a minute that's driving this, but I think it's that, that symmetrical use of the network, and we're going to see that in just a minute, uh, and how that's really changed the dynamic of it. And we'll, we'll get into the laser clipping in just a minute, um, the, and the, the difference between UGS and PGS and, and some of those things, which I think are very relevant. But let's dive into the numbers, because I think these are, are really interesting things of what's going on. So the first slide here comes from the NCTA, and these are kind of the key takeaways takeaways that they've talked about here, where since COVID, downstream peak traffic usage is growing 20.1% overall since March 1st. I mean, this is over and above what we're typically seeing, right? And that's just on a downstream. On the upstream, we're, the upstream's even more, 35.1% growth since March 1st. So this is kind of going back to what you're talking about, where like if you're using Zoom or any of the type services, that video and voice traffic is symmetrical. We're using it on a downstream and the upstream, and I think that's why we're seeing these big growth numbers in the upstream. And then the bottom bullet point, Wi-Fi traffic. Now, you know, those Wi-Fi or those voice calls that we were doing on the cellular network are now being migrated to the Doxis network because we're using backhaul on the Doxis network, which, great thing, we're using more data. <laughs> we're getting more traffic on our Doxis network um, and also a bad thing at the same time, right? Yeah, correct. I, th I saw I read another article I thought was interesting was the usage of downstream and how much it's gone up. I mean, obviously the upstream, there's more upstream traffic from your downstream TCP over the top adaptive bitrate video, Netflix, Hulu TV is creating upstream acknowledgements. So yep. there's a, a downstream and upstream, but I read where some service providers relax their caps. So they might've been doing bike counting yes. and capping it off and they relaxed it during this pandemic. So that made people like, oh, I might as well download all these movies and I watch whatever I want. So the traffic spiked up on the downstream and on the upstream. So what happens if the caps are reinstated and people already consumed as much in the habit. as they wanted to? They're <laughs> tired of Netflix, but they never I don't think that's going to happen either. And we're going to see that in the numbers too. A new marathon of some other thing comes out like – Yellowstone is a pretty cool show I'll watch. It's a great and show. They'll get the they'll and, get the rights to that and then people will be binge watching, right? Yes. It'll be a marathon on Yellowstone. So yeah, it's always gonna keep going up, up, up. So it'll be interesting to see if service providers reintroduce caps on bytes, you know, bite uh, how many bytes they download, uh, and if that will bring it back down or control people's appetites. or maybe that helps sell upsell, right? Customers, oh, I really like the way that was. No bite cap. I'll give you an extra five bucks a month for you know another terabyte in a week or something. I don't know. Yeah, there's there's opportunities there for revenue. Okay, the next couple of slides shows the first. This slide is showing the downstream trend of uh, peak consumer usage, and what we're seeing here is you know starting around March first, there was a large spike in downstream traffic usage. Starting at um, you know we're starting at the baseline of zero percent on March first, and there was a, an immediate increase of 20% downstream traffic from March 1st to March 28th that kind of continued up and around to uh, in April and then things through the summer you know started to to drop down into the 10% range or so still growth but things start to slow down a little bit over summer right started to relax a little bit things were doing a little bit more outside and then into August August 8th we start to see things peak up again now I'm as I said yeah, we're starting to, you know, get back to work. Some schools are starting to open up again. And at the same time, things got a lot worse in a lot of states. So <laughs> starting to get a little bit uh, back inside. Now, the upstream, I think that's the bigger story here. So in March 1st, we started 0%. And into April, we see upwards of a 35% increase in upstream traffic growth. And that remains pretty constant all throughout the summertime, staying in between the mid 20s to upper 30s and then it starts to peak up again in august and i think that's the story there which we'll talk about later on with ugs and collisions and laser clipping and stuff again uh, we're seeing a huge change in upstream utilization which is more the symmetrical usage of doxis which goes back to zoom gaming you know a lot more activity that we've seen than we've had before yeah i mean it's it's kind of scary because the downstream we've built in enough over subscription, over provision, over capacity. Yes. So we had enough room to grow in the downstream because we start implementing Doxus 3.1 and we have more single carrier qualms. We have primary primary downstreams. 
we you know get rid of some of the analog video and all of that stuff we've done to create 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 more DOCSIS traffic capacity. But upstream, you know, we say five to forty-two, but a lot of amplifiers are five to forty. You don't want to do stuff below fifteen usually, so you have very limited spectrum to really turn on upstream channels. Uh, and most people are stuck at four ATDMA channels, giving one hundred eight megabit per second aggregate pipe. Right. So that one hundred eight is nice, but a thirty-five percent increase in traffic could have took you from 50% typical for the day to 85. So now all of a sudden you're in compression or, you know, you're, you're actually in congestion and then you got to figure out what am I going to do about it? Yep. So our, our next slide um, comes from an article written uh, by Damien Poltz at uh, Shaw Communications. This is a nice slide that shows third network traffic increase from 2013 to 2020. And we can really see the spike there that occurred from COVID, a really significant spike on downstream usage. And the article from Shaw was, was uh, uh, really interesting because it talked about, you know, that really COVID did not break the network for for cable operators. And, and I think that's kind of a success story overall for the cable industry, how cable operators were prepared for this. And I, and I think, John, it goes back to your prior point where particularly in the downstream, operators had a lot of additional capacity. Many operators were already prepared with OFDM. We've been rolling out DOCSIS 3.1, so we had that additional capacity to do that. And so even though we had this really large spike that was shown on that slide from COVID, in the downstream at least, we had that capacity in many, many networks in order to absorb the spike. That is, I think, a success story. And I've heard a lot of stories about that. And we've seen that before where people really are seeing and appreciating the fact that DOCSIS is around, that this network infrastructure is there, that people can now start working from home, people can learn from home, and we're not seeing huge bottlenecks like maybe we would have seen five years ago or, or eight years ago before we have DOCSIS 3.1 and the massive amounts of capacity that we have right now. So you and I talked about this, and I think the word I'm going to be looking for is auspicious. Auspicious. We, That's the word we, for the day. It is, isn't it? My bombastic word. <laughs> we, we, by chance and by luck, we're in this position. Yes. And we can't take total credit for it. It's because the competition pushed the cable industry to upgrade. Yep. And well, that didn't happen. Whether that was Google or Verizon stuff. or AT&T, yeah. everyone's been pushing and pushing and pushing. And yes. thank goodness for that, really. Frankly, thank goodness for that. Agreed. So this next slide, I think, is really, and John, we talked about this for you before, is how, you know, uh, the bottom line on this slide shows what we have really become accustomed to as far as peak utilization, where, you know, throughout the day, most people are at work, most people are at school, traditionally pre-COVID. And then at night, the network utilization ramps up between 7 p.m. and like midnight. And those are our peak utilization hours. Now, post-COVID, our peak utilization hours, as we see on this chart, are 10 a.m. to basically midnight. The, those are our peak utilization hours, and it's as, as the line sees, and, and for those of you listening on audio only, apologize you can't see it, but it's kind of like a flat line from 10 a.m. to midnight as our peak operating hours, and this these new peak operating hours far exceed what we used to have as peak operating hours from 7 p.m. to midnight. So huge change there and huge impact on our overall network and how we're going to manage that moving forward. And it also is good to see this graphically because I used to argue that uh, when's the best time to do a maintenance window? Like when do you affect people the least? And I used to think uh, people going to work, maybe the best time to do a maintenance window was actually middle of the day. But it turned out it really wasn't because people working from home, still utilizing the, the network. And I was just looking from the DOCSIS side, right? Not just video, looking at the DOCSIS. But now the video is over the top. So it is DOCSIS. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a lot more capacity being used throughout the day. And it turns out the best time for maintenance window is probably still 2 a.m. Middle, night. To <laughs> Middle of night. And, and I, I, I have to say, I, there's there's many times I've done work with operators where eh, we could do some maintenance in the middle of the day because the chance of it really having much impact on anyone is, is minor. Eh, you're going to mess up someone watching Netflix or someone being sick at home or something like that. But that has that has so changed. Now, hands have to be off the network in the middle of the day because 
everyone's at home working, students that are home learning. So I think that's a big lesson. Next slide. This goes back to your point, John, where you said that operators were relaxing peak usage, and that's really critical. So what we've seen is a 47% increase in capacity consumption, up from 273 gigabytes to 402 gigabytes from the same time last year. So huge, huge percent uh, increase. And so really, really appreciate the fact that operators are releasing those caps. There's no time, like, there's no time in the past that we've needed that like we do right now, because we have become, as the article is saying, more reliant on the internet since the beginning of COVID-19 pandemic than at any time in the history of the internet. It's, it's our lifeline right now to keep working, to keep our economy running, to keep our children learning. And some of the you things know, that are dry, oh, oh, sorry, John, go ahead. Go back for a second. Yes. It doesn't really say uh, gigabyte per one. I assume it's per subscriber, right? Yeah, so I mean, uh, looking at these numbers. Three gigabytes to 402 per subscriber. Yep, I'm assuming that. It doesn't define that. We do have a link down here. This is from PC Magazine slash news slash data usage. People can go and look these up themselves and dive into that, but... Yeah, I mean, these numbers are, are pretty significant. So what's driving this, right? We have some slides here on 50,000 years of streaming media. So the amount of content America streamed in just one day, and that day was April 4th that they, they measured that. Disney project, you know, so Disney kind of, their streaming platform, they projected how much they were going to do. They blew those projections away. They did four years worth of their projection during the COVID pandemic. Netflix. 22% increase during COVID. Peloton. So, John, I think you, you mentioned Peloton, and you'd heard about this. I don't know if you want to touch on the Peloton since you're into the exercise routine. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of personal trainers that their studios are shut down. They can't give training. If they do, they've figured out how to do it outside if the weather's nice. It's been like 95 degrees here for like a whole month. So it's tough to do that outside even. Personal trainers are doing online training, FaceTime or whatever they're doing. And even if they're doing FaceTime on their mobile phone, it's probably with a Wi-Fi calling on, right? So it's still over the cable modem, potentially. Peloton was interesting because, you know, that is an interactive application. It's driving up traffic. They have those interactive mirror thingies for, for exercise. Who's to say something else doesn't come out like holograms? You go from, say, 4K TV to 8K to a hologram. Now you need even more capacity to generate that hologram and then be interactive as well. I don't know what I would be sending on the upstream. I try to send a hologram of myself or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but two, yeah, two it's, enough. it's interesting, the applications, right? Yep. These and, things that we never thought of. And it just continues. So Facebook, 27% increase. LinkedIn, 26%. WhatsApp, two, two times an increase in calls and videos. TikTok, 25% increase. We get into... You, know, you, you brought up, I, I got to add this. You brought up before another app on the upstream was the ring doorbells. And oh, because yeah. they track maybe movement, people walking outside would make the doorbell go on and it's going to the cloud. You so have a lot more people. Ring doorbell application, say, hey, if you're home, here's a feature to save the, uh, the content, not to the cloud, but maybe to your home. Mm -hmm. Or because you're not a way to watch it anyway, you're at home. But the, the user has uh, to have the storage capacity storage at their home. Cheap. Yeah, storage is cheap. People are just going to upload to the cloud and not have to worry about it. Yep. But that's generating traffic on the upstream. Yeah, but the, I mean, really, a, a subscriber, a home user isn't going to care about whether they're using the cloud. And they're not going to want to go out and buy storage capacity. That's, that's extra work for them. The yep. cloud is free. <laughs> if, if, yep. if it, unless it starts to cost them stuff. It's convenience. And the other thing I want to point out on all the stuff you're showing is, it comes right back down to content is king. Yes, absolutely. Netflix, Disney, whoever is providing the content. That's why 20 years ago, I said, man, as a cable industry, we can't be a dumb pipe. Yes. Because content is going to now just take away your pay-per-view income, which they've already done. And we need to figure out how to offer quality of service, quality of experience. So what's interesting is we have conflicting or combating news articles out where Charter says, oh, we're getting more video subscribers. And then on the other hand, we have other operators that are saying we're getting less video subscribers or, or streaming is, is actually increasing. So I think it depends on which operator or who's looking at the statistics. Definitely, there's no question streaming video is going up. I think yeah. it's just who's presenting the numbers or how we look at the numbers that I think everyone is just watching more video right now during COVID times. Yeah, is it semantics or are they using the term video too broadly? Yes. <laughs> because yes. it could mean over-the-top video or it could mean 
the cord cutters, you know, people actually cutting your broadcast video. One way or another, it's it's coming down the pipe. Then we get into video conferencing, and I don't, you know, most people are familiar with Zoom. So Zoom's had an amazing year with two thousand nine hundred percent growth. Google Meet is very similar to uh, Zoom. It's used uh, used a lot. I use it a lot. Three thousand eight hundred years. The amount of time spent in Google Meet sessions in a single day. 2.7 billion Microsoft Teams. That's the number of minutes in a single day. And Slack, also another another similar conferencing system. 80% increase in new customers on Slack. All of these are symmetrical services. Slack, uh, a lot less video in Slack, but um, another, nevertheless, they're all going to be using the upstream. Then gaming. So there's there's a lot of talk. I did a, an article, I think just about a year ago, where I said, you know, gaming's a billion dollar industry. Now the, the numbers, this gaming is like a multi, multi billion dollar industry now. So way surpassed the article I did just a year ago. But what we're seeing now during COVID, again, Nintendo, 41% surge in annual profit. Activision, two times percent increase in game revenue particularly one huge game for them is call of duty modern warfare lots of cable operators talk about this because the download just to download the first instance of the game is like an 80 some gigabyte download and then every time these guys pump out a new update for that it's normally like 10 12 gigabyte i I had mentioned the same thing before with fortnite john huge downloads every time you download this game and then we get into uh bunch live million increase house party seven percent increase every single one of these so people are doing a lot of gaming and then there's an there's an article about this they're predicting like an avalanche of additional gamers and gaming downloads coming on with some of the new services that are coming out so this is only going to add more traffic coming down so the this, pike this is interesting too to be able to track that and you know when a new version comes out there's going to be a surge yes right away it's a big download so it's almost like how do we how do you get ready for it the gaming companies, uh, no, you're not allowed to release it until a week after this guy releases or a day after. But then it's there's also no incentive. But the, I mean, that's not that's not incentive for the gaming companies because oh, no, the every time they, they do a network. new download, they make more to, revenue. You need to make your network better, right? Yep. You don't care. <laughs> it all comes <laughs> like, down to also, like why we built the networks the way we have to to get ready for this type of activity. To cash servers. Yes. Yeah, and, and that's one way that operators can really prepare for that because the cache server catches the first download and after that redistributes the downloads to all of the subscribers within that network. I mean, the capacity is still on your plant, but at least you've taken it off of your the backbone. WAN backbone. Yep, exactly. So I think final couple of slides here, the cloud. Uh, and you mentioned this early, John. That, so the cloud's getting a lot. So Amazon's seeing a 70% increase. Microsoft, 775% increase. So pre-COVID, I don't think I had ever joined a Microsoft Teams meeting before. Uh, everything was done on conference calls, you know, telephones. You remember, you remember telephones. I don't think I make any telephone calls anymore. Everything is done on Microsoft Teams with most of the people I talk to or Zoom and WebEx. Teams, symmetrical services, voice, and most of the time we're using video or we're sharing desktops. So huge, huge increase there. And then finally, last thing to talk about here is how phone services changed. So we did talk about phones being used on backhauled over Doxis, but it's not consistent from country to country. And this is what Statista is talking about here in this article published by Amy Watson back in June of 2020 of this year. Different countries, so like in Germany, Austria, and the United Kingdom, less than 40% of survey participants said that they were using their phone more. But for China and the Philippines, the percentage stood at 86%. Really, it does depend. You know, we can't just paint everyone with the same brush and say that everyone's using their phone more or less. It is broken down by country. In the U.S., definitely, we're using our phones a lot less from the standpoint of we're doing things like on Teams, on Zoom. We're just we're doing a lot more with our computers and iPad. I mean, think about it. There could be a lot of people that rely on their phone for their internet connection, and when they weren't stuck at home, maybe they were in... Uh not libraries, but some public location or, or some other place, Wi-Fi hotspots or uh, internet cafes or whatever. And, and maybe they didn't have internet at home. And now they're stuck at home. They're using the phone more because that's all they have. And it could depend on 4G and 
and where we're going with 5G as well. It'll, it'll be interesting with 5G and Wi-Fi 6 and the faster capacity of those things bring. So I, I, touching on that point, 4G, 5G, a couple of articles have come out recently how people, myself included, have add, added hotspots to their networks because it is so critical if, if your DOCSIS network goes down for any period of time, having that backup of 4G or 5G for redundancy is becoming really, really important. And people are starting to do that because if my network goes down, I don't want to be without internet right now. Having redundancies built in are things that people are starting to do. Don't want to be without networks for very, without network connectivity for very long. And like an ice storm, power goes out. The laptop has a battery, so it's still working. But right. then my internet has to be out. Uh, luckily, I did get fiber to the home, and they have a battery to the ONT. But fibers can get cut. That just goes to the ONT. So the Wi-Fi would still be out. The modem would still be out. So I really need a UPS for the modem side. I, I thought about that, too. And what I usually end up doing, exactly what you did, I use my mobile phone as a Wi-Fi hotspot. Correct. Yeah, so a lot of people are are leaning back into that. So we kind of talked about the numbers here and how there's no question. Network has changed significantly. We have a lot more capacity. I think another thing that's happened is a lot of people that used to go to work and work in a building in a residential area, maybe downtown, a city, something like that, that network capacity has also shifted from the city to now maybe suburbs or rural areas. So we've also had a shift in traffic of where the traffic is originating. That has changed the network dynamically too. And that takes us, I think, now into the more of the meat of the conversation, John, where you talked at the beginning, where this huge amount of shift in traffic is creating significantly more upstream traffic. We've seen the numbers, 35% standard consistent upstream traffic growth. So that's causing congestion. And that congestion, John, impacts piggybacking, causes congestion, causes bursts, getting on top of each other, laser clipping. How do we handle that? What's the solution for that? This this is a very deep, really, conversation of how do we envision the landscape of people wanting to live in a city to be close to work, to avoid traffic. And then all of a sudden you're given the opportunity to work from home. You're like, why would I pay the taxes and live in a city and deal with this when I could buy an acre of land with a nice house and work from home? So now all of a sudden fiber to the MDU that was easy to do for a service provider into a city. Mm-hmm. Now you have all that capacity needs moving out to the suburbs. And now that has to be increased. And you can't do fiber to node plus zero. You're still doing node plus three, four or five because that's, the most efficient, cost-effective way to do it, reap your return on investment of your HFC plant. And that's sort of where we are. And the question is, is it business as usual? Is it going to turn back? No, probably not. A lot of people and companies are probably let their people work from home. I think even your wife said that she was talking to someone from GoDaddy or something like that. And the CSRs, customer service reps, might be working from home. Yes. So now that shift of not just physical vehicle traffic, <laughs> now it's internet traffic shifting out to the suburbs. So we got to make sure the suburbs have connectivity. There was FCC and government subsidies for what were they call it? Rural broadband, yep. you know. And Under, underserved maybe, areas. I have a feeling it's going to be even more underserved areas. They were served, but they're underserved <laughs> because the influx of traffic is going to be coming. So and, and, and we see that everywhere. I have customers in, in like Montana, and they say there's just a, a massive amount of people that are moving into the state of Montana which that is a very, very, as we all know, it's a very rural area, very underserved area. But now the operators in those areas are just seeing, you know, a lot of new customers coming in. So there's a lot of opportunity there for those yeah. operators to... They the cable out there in North and South Dakota. Yeah. And they were very, uh, <laughs> they were very aggressive with pushing 3.1 and they're looking at cloud and stuff like that. So it's nice working sometimes with smaller MSOs because they're more nimble. They have less red tape and they're willing to try new things and and almost be cutting edge. And Midco did pretty good with that, and they still are doing it. So maybe they'll start feeding Montana and <laughs> the whole Midwest. And uh, to me, fiber as deep as you can go is the way to go. So fiber as deep as I can go, and then you just look at the cost and you do amplifiers where you need to. And then we do a maybe an 85 split to a 204 split, and then we decide where to go from the 204 split in the upstream. I mean, the bottom line is... When you come to network capacity and, and you, you start filling up the contention windows in a return with piggyback requests, you start causing your lasers to clip, there's really no solution for that other than 
adding more capacity, adding more upstreams, maybe going to OFDMA in the return, pushing fiber deeper, doing node splits. That's, that's the way you mitigate that. Yeah, let, and let me go down that path now. And, and so we'll give an explanation of uh, how DOCSIS really works, right? DOCSIS is not uh, like the old uh, land city contention sensing collision detection ethernet. Basically, DOCSIS, you make an upstream request, very small, six byte frame with some preamble and guard time. So it's really small. Might be one mini slot of time, 6.25 microseconds or 12.5 microseconds. It's really small time. Goes up to the CMTS. CMTS looks at the scheduler and says, oh, you asked for a 1,500-byte Ethernet frame. On a downstream map, it's going to say, oh, here's your time to send. So the cable modem and CMTS have to do request, grant, request, grant, request, grant. That delay, that request-grant cycle affects my packets per second, which affects my speed, my upstream speed. And longer distance, more time, more map advance, bigger frames, more time. If we have an application that has to do request, grant, request, grant, request, grant all the time. You mean like Zoom or Google Meet or any or any of the applications that we're seeing like, you know, 2000, 3000% growth. The key when you do, say I'm uploading a PowerPoint slide on upstream and I'm going to send it to you. Mm -hmm. I'm loading my cable modem with all those Ethernet frames. It's buffering in the cable modem and the cable modem does concatenation and it might send a request with a concatenated frame of three 15, 18 byte Ethernet frames, all at one time. Which means so now, now it's not do, doing request, grant, yeah, request, grant. One it's request just sending one big, buff, one big packet up. And to make this better, once the CMTS gives me time in the wire to send those three frames, I can piggyback a request inside. So now it doesn't have to send a request in order to get the grant. It's just getting one, it's if getting it a grant a every time it sends own, a packet. That request on its own is a contention request. It could collide with me and you and 10 other people. And if you have a collision, then you have to have some type of back off. Then you got to send the request again. So if the application has enough speed to buffer the cable modem and efficiently do request, concatenate a lot of frames and piggyback, as long as that first request goes through, I should be good. Right. Because there's no more contention. Once I'm allocated time on the wire, I, it's my time, right? So I don't have to worry about contention. Mm-hmm. But what if the application doesn't do that? What if the application is best effort audio, and I'm not doing any video, so it's actually, I feel like I'm not causing much traffic, but the traffic I'm causing is worse. And, and so the, the best effort audio is basically, that would be like unloading, offloading your cell phone call onto Docs. Exactly. Wi-Fi calling. Wi-Fi calling. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> I have such bad cell service in my house because I'm in the middle of nowhere. I have Wi-Fi calling on. So if I use my cell phone, it's going to be end up doing best effort through my... And, and, and if I recall, um, when, when you're doing Wi-Fi calling, I think you send requests like once every 20 milliseconds or something, right? It's, I mean, it's pretty it's, frequent it's, that you're sending those requests. It's typically packetization for packet cable was either 10 millisecond or 20 millisecond. And most people set it on a 20 millisecond because you couldn't hear the, the jitter or latency with 20 millisecond right. in between the packets. So, so yeah, you could have a packet every 20 milliseconds. And that seems fast, but in the whole scheme of uh, 100 megabit per second upstream pipe, that's really far in between every 20 milliseconds. Yes. Meaning so it's, I, I, I just think it's up- every Wi-Fi call on an upstream, just a Wi-Fi call is sending... Every 20 milliseconds, a request to the CMTS saying, I have another piece of That's voice data that I want to send to you. Right. It's That's a huge 50 amount. Per of- second that are all contention requests that have the capability to collide with someone doing a bondage call and, and, or and another so, Wi-Fi call. What, what, ha- what is the collision? What, what happens when the packets collide? If they collide, the cable modem will back off, and it's usually some type of exponential back off and a, and a range. And it will try again. But the packets are the, the packets that collide, they're basically lost, right? The CMTS yes, never sees yes. those collided packets. So here's my concern is if you're doing applications that are real-time, UDP, they're not TCP, they're real-time. If I back off, send the request to send my voice again, is it too late? At what point is the next voice packet need to go? You know, like... if, if I'm talking, it's real time. If I have to collide back off, collide back off, 
by the time all that happens, you're I'm already past that point in time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what you sound like when 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 yeah. that starts to happen, and then and then people say, "Well, you know, my my voice, people can't hear what I'm t- saying when I'm talking to them on the conference so call." This all so it's not just the application not being efficient with contention and piggybacking. It's also how much contention time do I have in the wire? And that's relegated to how much utilization is on the wire. So the more traffic we have, the less contention time we have. The applications are creating more contention requests. So that little window of contention time shrinks, 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 but then I have more contention in that small window, you're gonna have more contention and collisions. So then you have back offs and it's almost like a snowball effect. Right. So we ran this number with one of our customers and found that, and I didn't think it'd be possible, but we saw it. You and I know what laser clipping looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, all too you know, well, unfortunately. Cuts off at 42, and you have artifacts above 42 megahertz on a head end spectrum analyzer, you know it's probably laser clipping. Yep. If you turn off the upstream and that artifacts go away, then it's probably laser clipping. It's definitely know? laser clipping. <laughs> the actual contention, when you have multiple packets colliding at the same time, those packets build up on energy, right? Yes. So I started saying, I, I was mentally thinking about this. And I'm like, is that really possible? And we saw the results of it, meaning the utilization was high, contention window was low. The more traffic we saw the more the spectrum analyzer was showing artifacts of laser clipping. And then I said, let's run some numbers here. Even if you had 50 customers doing a WebEx, creating contention requests, and the probability is only one, 10 10 of those happen to collide at the same time. Well, technically 10 times a log of 10 is 10 dB. Which is a pretty large number. Power addition also is determined by Frequency alignment, Mm -hmm. phase alignment, and amplitude. Everything has to line up perfectly, right? And time and if you're if you're out of phase, the the numbers actually it could be better. Yeah, it would actually cancel out. But if they're in phase, then you have perfect addition. So at the node at the upstream laser, everything's the same frequency because you're transmitting on the same upstream channel. So we match one of the criteria. Everything's at the same amplitude because modems transmit whatever they need to. Do to match, hit the laser at the same level. That's the second criteria. Well, the same. Now it's the phase. We negotiate time with time offsets, so the cable modem and CMTS are synchronized. So I suspect everything the stars align, and <laughs> unfortunately, you have ten modems, only ten, and that's ten dB spike in power. Which is enough, well, if, enough depending on how your lasers are. Clipping. You can start clipping a laser with that much yes. additional power. Yeah, we're already fully loading up our upstream with four upstream channels. And, and that's also loading up my laser, right? Before, four upstream channels were bursty. But now, because they're so active, they're on like all the time. Because we have so 35% have more five. additional yeah. upstream utilization than what we used to have. So we could easily, you know, throw CB noise in there, throw AM radio noise in there, throw in... The normal junk. collisions in there. Yeah, now we got laser clicking. And it happened. So what do you do? It happened all yeah, since COVID. Do? So you know, you know what I did for these guys? I said, just to test it out. I'm like, you're going to take a hit on MER, but if you go to the CMTS and just say, let's set my upstream level to minus six. If I set my CMTS to minus six, all the modems levels will drop by six. So at least that gives me some headroom into the laser clipping of the laser of the node itself. And they did it. And they did take a hit on their MER, but they had enough good MER that they were okay with it. Because laser clipping is, it's unforgiving. Yes. Right? I mean, it's uncorrectable fact. It's 100% uncorrectable when, exactly. when you get it. It's 100% uncorrectable. <laughs> but John, that's actually a good recommendation. One that I hadn't thought of before is just, um, it's a stopgap solution. You lower the receive power that the CMTS is asking the, the modems come in. It's, it's also having every modem reduce its transmit power. So the, you reduce the probability that you're going to have the laser clip. It, that's, that's actually a really good recommendation for customers. Yeah, I mean, it was the simplest, at least temporary test until they could add more capacity right once they you split add a node capacity, or it was less congestion which opened up the contention window so it was less actual collisions right and no laser clipping yeah i mean another thing if they haven't added an additional upstream they could always do that which is going to add more contention windows yeah, yeah. but that's that's probably something they've already thought of doing but lowering yes, the power is a very good idea 
very good suggestion. And in reality, the best way to do it would be if you're trying to save your optical link, the best way is go to digital fiber. Right. Hey, there's my there's my plug right there. If you do remote fi, remote Mac fi, digital fiber, no laser clipping. That's perfect. Upstream and downstream, right? No laser clipping. But let's say you can't do that. You're still on an analog link. The best way to save your analog link is not just change the CMTS level, change the padding into the laser itself or move padding from the head end to the upstream laser. So what does that buy you when you move padding? Go ahead. You're not changing the cable modem levels because all you're doing is moving the padding. But by moving padding from the head end to the upstream laser, you're hitting the laser with less, less level. Right. Your optical modulation index is lower. You know, your drive to the laser is lower. Cable modems are still transmitting the same level they were before. Is there, are there any trade-offs from doing that? Yeah, you got to get in a truck and you got to drive out there. <laughs> it's just the, <laughs> it's the manpower, right? Yeah, it is. It really is. So what about PGS? Can we take advantage of that to take those continuous request grant, request grant, and put those and actually get those into a service flow? So rather than having the continuous request coming from the modem from like, say, a voice call or something like that, we can actually get that into a service flow. So the continuous requests are not coming from like, say, a Wi-Fi call that we know that Wi-Fi call is going to continuous. Is there the capability to do that? And before I even knew what PGS was, you know, PGS, Proactive Grant Service, is a new service flow specified in Cable Labs Low Latency Doxis Initiative. PGS is just like we have a best ever flow, an NRTPS flow, RTPS, UGS, UGSAD. We have different service flows you can put in a CM file. A lot of times the voice call used in UGS is a dynamic quality service. So you don't put it in the CM file. You make it as part of your packet cable multimedia and voice call set up automatically, right? Yes, but that does so require not, that you have up. a embedded multimedia terminal adapter in order to sense that the phone has been picked up and someone's right. going to make the call and then the MTA and CMTS communicate back and forth and say, wait, we've got yeah, a call negotiate. going on. Let's set up that dynamic quality of service that basically and, says and remember, now we don't need to send the requests and the uh, back and forth. Unsolicited. Unsolicited. Unsolicited like, yes. grant service. Yes. So you're not doing request, grant, request, grant. I set up the call. It's grant, 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 grant. It's unsolicited. Every 20 milliseconds, the grant automatically yes, comes down. So. Is, it, is there any way that we're looking as an industry, is it possible that we can, we can do that for non-MTA type calls and maybe a Zoom meeting or something like that? So, and we're looking at that for gaming and potentially identifying, like we just talked about, these applications. Mm-hmm. And I had a thought on this because you just talked about making a call and you got to dial the digits. That's call signaling. Right. That call signaling is before the call sets up. How do you guarantee that goes through? That's best effort right now. That might not even go through. Right. It's like you don't even have dial tone or you're dialing digits and the digits aren't going through. To give yourself insurance that the call signaling will go through during high con- congestion periods, we have something called NRTPS. Or you could set up call signaling with a best effort flow with higher priority than all the other best effort flows. Mm-hmm. Normally, your best effort flows are all priority zero because everyone's equal. So you say, all right, you know what? I'm going to make sure the call signaling at about 87 kilobit per second. Actually, call signaling is like 16 kilobits per second or less, 8 kilobits per second. I'm going to set that with a priority of three. Or instead of a best effort with a priority, I can do NRTPS. So NRTPS is non-real-time polling service. It allows the CMTS to schedule time on the wire for non-contention requests just, just for that call signaling. Right. You're nailing it up. But it's very infrequent, maybe every 100 milliseconds, and it's very small. Yeah, when you say you're nailing it up, we're reserving capacity in the return for these, for, these call, for these services. And it could be for every EMTA on that, say, upstream. So mm-hmm. if you have 100 EMTAs, no one's making any calls, but those 100 EMTAs are nailing up it's- non-contention requests. For each one of them. Which means there, there's a certain amount of upstream capacity that's reserved that can't be used by anyone. Correct. Um, so that's, that's kind of the trade-off on that that we have to Correct. recognize. Correct. So I said, you know, could I use that feature for these new applications? If we could identify them or identify customers that need a better guarantee, maybe I could give them NRTPS for their actual flow. And it turns out scheduled flows like UGS and RTPS, are relegated to a single upstream. That way we can control jitter and latency. 
-hmm. they're not allowed to bond across the other upstreams. And it turns out NRTPS, it sets up non-contention requests, but the actual data, the best effort traffic that goes along with it, it's relegated to that same single channel. Okay. I'm like, that's a non-starter. Yeah, I, I that's a problem. Because if that I channel goes down, if that channel goes, and what if that channel goes down, like a partial mode situation, does that, can we move that to a different upstream then? But you could, you could have multiple service flows for a cable modem, right? Mm -hmm. You could have a primary service flow that's bonded and the modem will stay online as long as one of the upstreams is up. And then you can have another service flow just for this application that's relegated to one upstream. So if it goes down, the modem is still up because it's on a different service flow and it's still using all four. My problem is if that application needs 50 megabits per second on the upstream, I can't do that on a single upstream. That'll kill it. The other, well, yeah. first of all, the upstream yeah. won't support it. And, yeah, it and then once anyone. it tries to, it's going to crush everyone, anyone else that's on that upstream. So all these thoughts... Um, I'm like, uh, is there any way that we could allow bonding? And even our own guys at Cisco, you know what? PGS is coming out. So why reinvent the wheel when we already have a new feature coming out that was meant to satisfy this stuff? I'm like, all right, cool. So PGS is what's going to help us with this. It will allow us to set up an NRTPS type of uh, nailed up non-contention requests. And it's proactive grant service. So I could say I need 100 mini slots and here's the type of speed I'm looking for. And the CMTS gets the request and says, oh, I see you want 100 mini slots, but because you want higher speeds, I'm actually going to give you 200 mini slots. I see on the downstream map that no one else is asking for time in this map. So I'll just give you the rest of the rest to you. So it can proactively give me more than I asked for. And then it can ramp up and then ramp down depending on how much traffic there really is. The, the only pitfall I see to some of this is we used to do node splits based on upstream utilization. And this is the problem I have with power boost as well, upstream <laughs> and downstream power boost. If you're using the pipe, it's kind of like use it or lose it. Right. If I use the pipe and utilization looks like 100% all the time, it's giving me a false sense of congestion. And, and you're saying it's it's going to be like that because you're we're, we are pinning up some of the traffic? What, well, what? in this case, the PGS is not pinning up really anything. Okay. It's just giving out more than I really needed or I really wanted. And so you're, you think um, that when we do this, people are going to think that there's that they have to do node splits before they actually have to. Correct. Right. And I've always said that we need to track quality of experience to determine when, when to, to do, do node splits, splits. and, when to, and when to add capacity. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of like use it or lose it. You can make the argument that I'd rather give everyone equal opportunity to use the entire pipe. It, right. It's use it or lose it anyway. So it's not costing me any more for my DOCSIS pipe. But then how do you determine when there's congestion? That's the key. I don't care what the utilization is. I care when people are backing off and having collisions and congestion. And when it starts to impact the end sure, user. Cool. So, yeah. so what do you think the time frame is for PGS? I mean, it sounds like a great solution for the problems that we're, we're having. You know, Six crystal months? ball. <laughs> I mean, yeah, is it? Are I we looking at a year? Are we? Are less than a year? No, more than I, a year? I think, and, and really, it's an implementation of the CMTS software. So get coding, man. There's, <laughs> there's no hardware. Yeah, uh, well, that, I mean, that's a good thing. Then it's it's not uh, it's not that we have to change out hardware. It's probably something right. that we'll see it for coming out from a lot of the vendors, firmware, software upgrades, in sometime in the future. Well, I'll give you a little teaser on that one. Is Cisco has a proprietary feature that preceded, preceded, proceeded, preceded. came before PGS. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> and here I was throwing out bombastic words. I can't even think of preceded and proceeded. Now you can't even put so a sentence together. It's, it's preceding PGS. It's DPS, DOS's predictive scheduler. So we already have a feature to do some of this, and it's officially going to be supported in September, so next month. Oh, that's awesome. I'll and it was, it's been a great feature for us for a long-distance remote buy. Yep. If I do remote file with a long SYN, conversion interconnect network, a digital fiber, I do have a lot of delay. It's going to help with latency on that request yeah. grant cycle yeah. that you, you've been talking about. And it's not just upstream traffic, per se. It's upstream acts affecting my downstream TCP. Right. So if I'm trying to do over-the-top video, and I have a lot of speed, DOCSIS 3.1 modem even. Oh, you'll get buffering because of the, the yeah. if, if you don't the handle that, slow. the acknowledgement delay over a long Correct. link. No, that makes yeah, a lot of sense. 
So, all right, covered a lot of ground. I think there's a lot, you know, a lot of good information that we've seen. COVID has had a unique impact on our networks. I think that things like PGS, the other technologies you're working on, I think these are going to be really interesting things coming out. Giving operators recommendations, like just lowering your transmit or your receive power at the CMTS in order to combat things like laser clipping or good recommendations and, and even having operators understand why they may be having laser clipping now when they didn't just six months ago, pre-COVID. I think these I mean, are all even, important things. So you even look at power loading, if you start going DOCSIS 310 OFDMA, where you want to take advantage of the capability of DOCSIS 310 OFDMA with higher modulation schemes, you might say, let's rob Peter to pay Paul. Let's, to keep the laser from getting overloaded with power, maybe I take my ATDMAs and drop them 3DB, and or I turn on my OFDMA, 3db right that way i have better mer just on the ofdma and i'm using it at the higher frequency not at the lower end uh and i know my atma can only do 64 qualm anyway and the break point for that is like 23 db so if if i got a 20 if i got a 30 db mer and i can afford three four db drop i i should be okay with that i mean it's a decision that has to be made obviously yep all right, John, we have wrapped up another hour. I do want to go over some new events that are coming up. Light Reading Next Gen Technologies and Strategies Conference on August 26th and 27th. This event is completely free to attend. So shameless plug here, I will be speaking on the 10G panel on Wednesday, August 26th at 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time again completely free to attend. I will have a link for the event in the show notes. Also, SETE Expo 2020 virtual conference, that is October 12th to 15th. Expo this year, including all of the workshops, completely free. Thank a number of cable operators who have pitched in to compensate all the workshops so everyone can attend those. So I think this year's expo will be one of the, will be the absolute highest attended expos because everyone can and should attend the expo. I will be moderating the panel on Wednesday, October 14th, 9.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time with Ron Rannick from Cisco. I think most people know Ron, John Krastowski from Comcast, and Kyle Homan on Shaw. And this panel is on what does a wider upstream path mean for signal leakage monitoring and reporting. I've already read all the papers and presentations because a peer review are on this. I recommend everyone attend this this panel. What does a wider upstream path mean for signal leakage and monitoring? There is so much. Water, you mean like a 204? I'm not going to. I'm not going to give away any of this stuff in here, John. <laughs> it's, you got to attend the panel to see it. I just want to say. <laughs> I'm so excited about it because I read the papers and there's so much good content in these papers and the presentations. You've got to attend the panel and it's free, man. It's absolutely free. So John, I think you're, are you doing something for Expo? I got two. All right. I got accepted for two. Bug yourself, man. And I, and I have to um, present twice in the same day. Awesome. I think one's at like 9.30 on the 14th and the other one's like one o'clock or something on the 14th. But you're doing so it I'm from doing right there, on. right? Raise your desk. <laughs> yeah, I will it's be. Awesome. Basically, that's it. <laughs> Maybe I'll bring my chickens in with me. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I did one on capacity, the stuff we've been talking about, mm-hmm. capacity concerns, congestion mitigation, trying to figure out where the congestion's coming from, what can I do? Uh, the other one is on the power of DAA, going to digital fiber. Regardless if it's remote fiber, remote Mac fi, I don't care. Just converting analog fiber to digital fiber, what does it do for us? And it does a lot. I mean, I don't even care if you go to FDX or some other thing that doesn't even exist yet. <laughs> Just yes. go to that digital link. Like we talked about, no more laser clipping. Yes. I mean, right there, you know, longer distance. There's all kinds of stuff. So between the light reading that's, again, on August 26th and 27th and the Cable Tech Expo on October 12th to 15th, those are four days completely free full of great content. I highly recommend everyone attend those and get as much out of them as you can because you can sit at home and you can watch them and get lots of great content. From our side, our next show that we have is uh, August 28th. That's going to be another special edition of our cloud native virtualization with Asaf Matatayu. And then the one after that is uh, September 11th. That'll be episode 64, back again with me and John. Oh, and then we'll have on September 25th, another full band capture, Rocking PNM with uh, special guest Larry Wilcott from Comcast. So looking forward to doing that. So with that, John, thank you again for your time today. Uh, a lot of great content here. 
our next episode, episode 64, August 28th. Please join us, everyone. You can let watch us live right here. Uh, catch up on previous episodes on YouTube or listen to us on our favorite podcast for so long, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Bye, all. Take care.